Welcome to the UC Architects Podcast. This is episode four for Exchange, recorded Saturday, July 28th, 2012. This week we're splitting the episode into dedicated podcasts for Exchange and Link in order to cover all of the recent events. So this will be the Exchange dedicated uh, episode. I'm your host, Pat Richard. This week we have a large group of uh, co-hosts, starting with um, Michelle DeRoy, um, Exchange MVP Sirkan Veraglu, Exchange MCM John Cook, Exchange MVP Mahmoud Magdi, Exchange MVP Johan Veldus, Exchange Architect Dave Stork, um, Michael Van Horenbeek, and myself, Pat Richard, an Exchange MVP. So this week we will be talking about the big Wave 15 uh, preview that was released by Microsoft, as well as a licensing update for multi-mailbox search, Uh, We'll cover an ActiveSync device issue and talk about an Outlook 2003 uh, issue. So, Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you're up to. Hi, my name is uh, Michelle Droy. I'm from uh, the Netherlands. I'm currently working as a UC consultant uh, in the, let's say, the Microsoft corner, working on Exchange projects and uh, sometimes on Link projects. I'm, uh, I have a de- background as a developer, so uh, it comes in handy when uh, I need to work on some PowerShell uh, tooling or supporting scripts. So that's my, uh, in a nutshell, my job. Yeah, you've had some some great PowerShell information that I've certainly gotten off your blog post, your blog before. So good good stuff. Uh, next up, we have uh, Sirkan. Sirkan, what's up with you? Uh, hi guys again. Uh, my name is Sirkan. Uh, I I blog in Turkish. I'm the only one probably blogging in his own language at the moment because I don't have time to blog on English and Turkish at the same time. So <laughs> that's too much time. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep updating the Turkish community. Uh, my job is mostly on Exchange Server and currently on Link as well. Uh, I do live in Bermuda, even though John hates hearing that. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's all I can say. Great. Well, welcome, John. What about you? You've been on a couple episodes before. What's new with you? Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's, I sort of uh, was sad to hear the last one. Even though it was really good. You know, it's it's it's, it's a lot of fun being on them. So I, I was actually get back and uh, get on the next one. Uh, so yeah, I mean, mostly obviously this is a huge past couple of weeks with the rollout of the the. 13 wave, and now we can start talking about stuff. If you, you know, were in the tap or something, or had you know insider knowledge, so to speak, it was hard to keep your mouth shut, especially for someone like me who can't keep his mouth shut. So it's uh, nice to be able to follow, finally, you know, talk about some of this stuff so people can really see what's uh, going on. So um, that's pretty much what I've been focusing on. Yeah, de- definitely. I know some of us, uh, the Exchange MVPs and the MCMs, and those of us that are on the the Exchange 2013 tap, have seen stuff for months, and it's it's nice to finally be able to talk to others about it. So uh, great, Mahmoud, what's up with you? Yeah, and, uh, um, I have attended the last uh, episode. I'm proud being here in this episode talking about Exchange uh, with 15. Um, currently, I'm, uh, I joined the MISA at Qatar. They are uh, one of the largest data centers in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in my region, in my region, and uh, as their application cloud architect. So it's a slight change in uh, in my views toward the cloud and all of the things around the cloud and everything. So it will be quite challenging a little bit. Oh, I can imagine. So, yeah, great to have you here. Johan, what's happening with you? Hi, Pat. 
Yeah, I uh, did a Office 365 uh, migration from uh, from to Exchange 2003. So yeah, it was uh, pretty easy. Although uh, we've got uh, some issues, which we'll uh, discuss in uh, future episodes. Oh, great. Uh, so the man pulling double duty uh, today is uh, Dave Stork, who's uh, a co-host and uh, the producer for the episode today. So Dave, uh, thanks for stepping in for that. What's up with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, what's up with me? Um, busy blogging uh, about uh, Exchange, uh, preparing blog posts, uh, uh, now focusing on Exchange 2013, obviously. Uh, but uh, that's all spare time and... Um, yeah, during working hours, currently I'm uh, working on a big project, uh, designing an Exchange 2010, unfortunately, um, uh, an environment that has to, su- has to support about 10,000 users, probably more, but that's not certain yet. So that's uh, uh, a whole, whole other ball game as, as, uh, I, as I had before. So that's, uh, that's my uh, current occupation. Oh, great. Good stuff. Uh, and the man that uh, gets the brunt of the work here <laughs> at the UC Architects, uh, and who does a lot of our editing for us, uh, uh, Michael, my sympathies to you. Uh, what's what's up with you? <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for having me again. Well, uh, as Dave said, uh, mostly occupied with Exchange uh, 2013 nowadays, uh, trying to get my head around it. Um, but most of all, very happy to be able to speak about it because uh, being a TAP customer, I've been able to work with it for quite a long time and not being able to speak about it. So yeah, I look forward for uh, the future and uh, writing and talking a lot about it. So Great, great. Well, you can uh, find information and links for each of us on our website, theucarchitects.com. So uh, including links to our blogs and, uh, and Twitter feeds. Heading into the top stories this week, um, since our last episode, uh, Microsoft had their big Wave 15 uh, preview release where they released uh, the previews of Office, Link, Exchange, and Office 365. And, of course, just a couple weeks prior to that, uh, we had the Windows 8 and Windows Server 2010 previews released. So kind of a, a, a big bang uh, approach this time around. If you missed the keynote address about that, we'll have a link to it on our website, and you can watch it in its entirety. So... I was just going to say, what's everybody think about the, the Big Bang approach over the, the kind of spread out approach? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, don't, I can't remember where so much was released all at once uh, like like this this round. I mean, it was just like, wow. <laughs> well, we, we knew that this was coming. Um, I didn't, well, I was uh, tweeting the day uh, that uh, we already had an idea that Office was being released, was presented that day, um, and we were suggesting on Twitter, well, perhaps the backend, so like, like Exchange, would also be presented. But, well, it, it, it didn't in the keynote, but it was uh, on all the, the, the download sites and, and Twitter accounts, and uh, it's just a massive wave of information to, to come through, uh, especially if you not not have any prior knowledge uh, like I did. Yeah, it, it it is it is very very difficult to get everything going at once because I didn't expect the Microsoft launch and Office and Office 365 and Exchange and Link, you know, the entire Wave 15 suite. I thought they would actually bring it out gradually or at least release the information more gradually. So uh, it means that for a lot of us guys uh, being consultants, uh, we're going to, to do some overtime uh, getting to know the big stuff, uh, especially um, as I think the link guy said, the more generalists uh, between us. 
will have lots of lots of time uh, needed uh, to, to get their heads around all things. So yeah, and one of the things that that I think uh, it was interesting too is that they all, they all they all seem really complete and are for the most part working pretty well. I mean, for you know some of these like say Office would press probably more you know a little bit earlier than than I think the the server products are, but. Uh, things pretty are pretty solid across the board, and again, we'll probably emphasize a million times during these 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 podcasts. But you know, don't put this stuff in production; it's only for testing. But uh, you know, I mean, I'm surprised that the things do work and coexist with you know the release versions of these uh, uh, products pretty well. I mean, I'm pretty actually. Pretty, I guess it's not really flattering in that, that sense. I mean, I'm sort of surprised they do work as well as they do, but um, they're pretty solid so far. And and well, another benefit of that they released everything at once is that we get to play with everything at the same time and, and things that are integrated like Exchange, uh, SharePoint, uh, Link, uh, and the Office, the, 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 the Link client and uh, the Outlook client, we can test it all at the same moment and that, that is a positive side. Because uh, with I think with Exchange 2010, uh, I think the server side was released a few a few months before the the client was uh, released. So uh, yeah, I, I see I see a lot of uh, upsides to this uh, approach. Well, I definitely hope that they keep this approach uh, for the RTM date for the products as well. So they release the betas uh, right now. Right now, so I, I really hope they release all uh, software at the same time going to RTM. I, I think they would, uh, because uh, it's probably much more tied in than the last wave, wave 14, uh, with uh, Office 365. So I think that this is something we're going to see in the future uh, more times, uh, more often. Yeah, and as Pat said, also, I mean, the the the, the really recent releases of Server 12 and and Windows 8. I mean, um, there's also a lot of cool things to see. Okay, how how now we can kind of see how these apps that are not Metro apps are going to look like and interact with Metro. Um, and the, and the older desktop side, uh, and how that's going to work. And then with the, uh, previews of like, uh, the RT versions, the MX versions of, of OneNote, uh, for example, we can kind of see what the, you know, uh, the MX versions of these apps are going to look like. And obviously I, I, I can't personally wait to see what Link MX is going to look like. Um, I'm kind of, you know, salivating for that because one, I'll, if anyone hasn't looked at the Windows 8 preview and certainly, uh, uh, especially the the OneNote uh, MX, it, I, it's pretty amazing. I'm really pleased with with uh, you know seeing these Office apps what they might look like, you know, uh, in a in the MX version, you know, the RT versions. Right, right. So I think uh, if you look across your organization, it's like everybody is heads down trying to play with these new uh, these new products now. So it'll be be interesting to see. So what the downside? Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, the only downside there was. Do you guys remember the first day? When they released it, like in the first 24 hours, we were all trying and uh, rushing into downloading it. Yeah, I, I oh, think yeah. that was yeah. really painful. <laughs> that was the first thing. I, I, I think that I, uh, it took me about 24 hours or something like that to download Exchange uh, uh, ISO or XE file. I, uh, and that was a bit frustrating. Yeah, and, and also, you know, it didn't help that that, that the, uh, you know, the download now was, was sort of buried at the bottom for IT pros. And you clicked on, you know, get get the new things. You got taken to the 365 sign up. And I'm like, well, I don't want that. I just want, I want the ISO. Where is it? You know, it took me a while to go, okay, oh, there it is. Oh, thanks for the link. Thanks a lot for putting it at the bottom of the page. 
Right, right. So m- moving along, uh, the next top story is uh, a big change in licensing uh, for Exchange with regards to multi-mailbox search. So in 2010, of course, you had to have uh, an enterprise license in order to do multi-mailbox search. And now, uh, I think effective October, uh, that changes. So how, how big of an issue do you think that is? Personally, I haven't had a company that used this uh, functionality, so uh, I think that uh, perhaps this gives a bit of uh, uh, exposure to the functionality, uh, so perhaps it will be more used, but I think don't think that the licensing issue is, uh, is a major impact. But uh, Well, I think if customers have bought a license specific for this uh, feature, I'm wondering what Microsoft will do. If they've got a contract for several years uh, for a license, because yeah. so if you if you um, need a thousand uh, enterprise licenses because you want to use the multi mailbox search, and now you've got a three years contract which it was renewed, uh, let's say the beginning of year this year, what's Microsoft going to uh, to do about that? Yeah, that's that's a good point. So we'll see, and we'll have a link to that product group announcement uh, on our webpage. Um, Michael, you wanted to talk about an active sync device issue uh, that has been getting some uh, some notice lately. Yeah, well, uh, it was uh, actually an article over at uh, Ars Technica or Tweakers, a Dutch website, uh, that mentioned that at the Black Hat conference uh, there was some guy, I think it was uh, Peter Henne, uh, some security expert, um, created an, an sort of a man-in-the-middle attack which allowed him to remotely wipe uh, an active sync device. So this could be potentially a big issue for companies uh, that are actually heavily using uh, devices like uh, Apple or uh, Android because Windows Phone seem to be uh, not harmed by the exploit. And uh, how it actually goes is that uh, by by spoofing the connection to the Exchange server, they could use a, a self-signed certificate or actually a, a, any certificate to make the device believe it was connecting to a trusted Exchange server and uh, thus uh, make the device wipe um, although a little side note was that uh, the Apple devices would show a warning but usually uh, yeah, when you get a warning or actually when an end user gets a warning they just accept anything um, and what amazes me is that Android for instance just doesn't say anything, it just accepts the the, f- uh, the, bony, the phony uh, sorry, the phony connection and just wipes the device so it's it's pretty big though well, uh, I think it's uh, uh, well the, the the media of the, the articles in, in, in tweakers and uh, especially the comments take it a bit um, bigger than it is. Uh, is my opinion at least. It's uh, mostly a device issue because uh, Windows Phone for, uh, actually doesn't have this issue, and uh, when it detects an, 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 an a certificate that's not okay, it just blocks uh, your connection and doesn't. Uh, let you continue uh, to an, a man in the middle, man in the middle exchange server, for instance, or uh, does the remote wipe. Um, so it's it's basically a device issue on uh, and and specifically uh, how they handle uh, wrong certificates. Yeah, definitely, it is a device issue. But uh, if you take a look at it, how many companies are using Windows Phone? If you take a look at the, how many uh, Windows phones are deployed, it's just they are outnumbered by Android and, and these these iPhone things. So uh, yeah, a lot of people are vulnerable to that issue. Well, <laughs> well, BlackBerry doesn't use ActiveSync yet. 
Um, but but in any case, this could be a very good selling point for Windows phones. So, uh, but um, for those companies who have uh, Android and uh, iPhones and iPads and and such. Um, uh, well, uh, I think uh, Michael and you and I already discussed this a little bit on Twitter. Is uh, client-based certification uh, authentication is uh, a means to this issue, uh, but that means that you have to install the uh, client certificate on all devices of your company, and that could be an issue. Um, and second, uh, another option you have to uh, counteract this a bit is, uh, uh, well, is, is to block devices you don't trust. But that, that would mean that you only uh, would allow Windows Phone devices. And, uh, well, Exchange 2010 Suspect 1 has the ability to allow block or quarantine devices on, on model or uh, device type. So that could be an option. But... Still, uh, it's it's better to uh, instruct your users to be uh, vigilant uh, on those certificate warnings. Uh, yeah, well, uh, as long as they're on an iPhone, it's okay. But if they're using Android, then they're uh, basically screwed. Uh, in a, uh, well, so, some would say uh, uh, you are already screwed for owning an Android. But <laughs> uh, I personally own one, so... Uh, I wanted to test her myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, it's. Uh, um, I, I think uh, it, it 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 also come, comes down again to how the users uh, experience or how they approach security. And I think that the Apple device warns you for a certificate uh, issue, but you can continue easily by- and, bypass it. Right? There's no yeah. no controller. Yeah. And and I had have had companies who said, well. We're going to just use the self-signed certificate, and we're going to instruct our users just to ignore the warning. And every time I'm saying, no, this is not a good idea. And this is a very good example why this is not a good idea. This is not the result of the whole bring your own stuff uh, movement. Everybody wants to use their own device, but doesn't want to be annoyed with all these pop-ups and security stuff. Well, there's a point to that, but um, I, I think the bigger problem actually is, is uh, still um, how ActiveSync is badly <laughs> implemented in, in, in all these devices. Uh, we have the, the uh, ActiveSync uh, logo program, but uh, as, as Michael mentioned on his blog about this uh, subject, uh, but uh, you still see that well, uh, the, the iPhone and the iPad are uh, have that logo, but still, uh, it's not a fully um, good implementation of ActiveSync, I think. Well, and yeah, it's, it's one of the problems with ActiveSync also. And Microsoft has the you know basic guidelines, but you know it's up to the device makers to really decide what they want to implement. And there's no, you know, there's no forcing um, the full subset. So you have, you know, if you've ever had uh, migration, uh, some Android devices won't uh, uh, acknowledge the um, uh, legacy URL and the whole you know profile redirect. So the 451 redirect problem, and it's just nothing you can do. I mean, it's sort of like, well, yeah, in this class of devices, these people are just going to have to understand they're going to have to manually reconfigure the devices. And that's, it's not Microsoft's problem. It's, you know, in this case, you know, most of the Motorola uh, Android devices had that problem. But, um, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, Dave, you uh, you were talking about an Outlook uh, 20, uh, 2013 issue where um, users could end up with an empty mailbox and not a way to get their mail back. What's up with that? Well, um, 
the Outlook 2013 uh, preview release, you can install it on uh, any, any computer, uh, uh, Windows 7. Uh, I think that XP is not supported anymore, but uh, you can install it next to your uh, Outlook 2010 uh, if you use the streaming install. And if you connect it to your current production uh, mailbox, uh, you have to be careful when you delete, uh, uh, when you enter your deleted items. And there are reports, and they are confirmed by uh, Microsoft, that um, uh, when you enter your folder, it, your whole mailbox is then uh, the content of your mailbox is deleted. So, so calendar items, contacts, everything, and you can't recover it uh, with Outlook 2013. Um, and I. I think that uh, there were some reports that if you then return to uh, Outlook 2010, you could recover it, uh, but but still, um, still a serious issue. Um, and well, again, a warning that uh, don't use preview or beta stuff <laughs> in your production environment. Yeah. Uh, this this shows you uh, why you shouldn't. Um, I told you we'd or, say it more than once, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, still, if you do it, uh, just just keep it in mind. Um, but um, there is also good news because uh, Microsoft recently released uh, uh, fixes for this issue, um, and uh, well, the links will be up on our uh, website, I suppose. Um, so th I, I think that is a, a relatively quick response by Microsoft. But it's it's a serious bug, but. Uh, then again, uh, even even though it's a beta uh, uh, or a preview version, um, I think that they uh, handled it rather quickly. I think that that's also a PR issue, uh, obviously. That if your preview version kills your mailbox, that well isn't isn't a very uh, good PR. No, I agree, definitely. And that covers the top stories. Uh, now it's time to get into the. The weeds with all the Exchange uh, 2013 content, um, and there's plenty plenty of information here. The first up that I have is the fact that uh, Mappy, essentially direct Mappy between the client and the server goes away, um, and tends to use HTTPS now. So, how does that help, and and what kind of change is that? Well, I think uh, I think it simplifies. Uh the whole thing of troubleshooting the connectivity and uh, as we have been reading uh, around the architectural changes it makes um, the, the back-end code that the exchange side is much faster and things and I think it's already most of the organizations are already been using Outlook anywhere um, inside the organizations if I'm not mistaken um, so I think uh, uh, organizations have been using uh, RPC, are those orgs that don't use uh, Outlook Anywhere. Uh, most of uh, my organizations are already using Outlook Anywhere inside, uh, uh, inside the network. It's kind of funny. Well, uh, uh, I had a discussion with, uh, with a student of mine uh, during an Exchange 2010 course, um, and uh, he said, well, uh, I've heard that Microsoft is is releasing or is is going away from MAPI, and I was thinking, well, I, I didn't don't think so. But uh, what would be logical would be um, th that they would uh, use Outlook anywhere, inside and outside. So I think that this is a, a quite a logical evolution of the the, the, the protocol, and it has a lot of advantages. Um, uh, as uh, for instance, Mapi RPC has dynamic ports, and uh, well, we all know that 
that could be also uh, could uh, complicate things. And if you just have to focus on port 443 and some certificates, well, uh, that that would be great. Yeah, and I think it also changes the high availability picture too. I mean, this is I think that's one of those things that it's allowing for a much simpler load balancing scenario than what we had in 2010. Um, you know, between servers and a cast array, too, since it's all just web protocols, it's much easier to balance those than, uh, and you know, I have to say, listeners and stuff's not, not as a big of a deal. So I think it's another huge kind of change. Also, I think, you know, it certainly seems like it would be a lighter. RPC is a pretty heavy, you know, consumer of resources, uh, especially at scale, right? So I would think that this would make things a lot more, you know, dynamic, you know, in balancing, uh, the traffic as well. Yeah, the, the other thing that it allows uh, centralized CAS deployment. So, as you know, guys, that uh, in, uh, in Exchange 2010 and 2007, we have to deploy a CAS and hub and mailbox per site. Uh, now this allows us to deploy a mailbox per, uh, per site and have a centralized centralized um, center where uh, all of the CAS servers are in and uh, external access is allowed. So we don't have to deploy a CAS server per site, a CAS and mailbox server now per site anymore. I think it's, uh, it's a nice feature and the requested one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So moving on, um, just when we were hoping that public folders might be dead, Finally, uh, comes kind of a a radical shift in uh, in the architecture behind public folders. And Mahmoud, you had written about um, uh, how things change in public folders. Yes, I, I I go back to the Exchange 2007 Ignite. I attended the third round. Of, uh, in the world, and they told us move all of your customers away from public folders because public folder and uh, public folders in, in the next version will vanish. And uh, we have seen it in Exchange 2010, and I think that the new architecture gives uh, public folders a leap to the future. Now I think we will stick for with public folders for a period of time. Um, the the new change. Uh, uh, the new change um, uh, falls around moving from the public folder databases, which has been uh, uh, which has been a container for the public folders uh, for for years and years, and have inherited that from uh, Exchange 2003, to storing the the public folder contents inside a mailbox, a special a special mailbox um, with a public folder ability. So you don't have any more a public folder database. You just have a, a public folder mailbox. Um, and thus, this has two major changes. The first, the first change is around the content replication because now the public folder mailbox is protected using a DAG and you can replicate that using the underlying uh, DAG, uh, DAG architecture. But the content themselves are not replicated. So, Customers who are using content replication to provide international access or uh, access for sites or remote sites or remote countries should really consider how their uh, architecture will fit within the exchange at 2030 um, because content won't be replicated anymore. Uh, the other thing is uh, Dave has something, so go ahead. What I... Uh I'm asking myself is okay. This this uh, Microsoft de-emphasized the public folders for two versions of Exchange, the 2007 and 2010, and and, and now they've done this uh, the, 
added in 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 the mailbox database. But what would that mean for future um, future versions of Exchange? Will we still have public folders and uh, will Microsoft change his, uh, their statement that we will support public folders for 10 years? Um, uh, it's it's well. It, it's not a sting for, for customers because customers always like public folders. We know that. Um, we actually had to convince them to move from public folders. So it's, it's actually quite a bit a little sting to consultants because they have put time and effort into convincing customers to move from them. And uh, now they're still there. So what's up, Microsoft? What are your plans for the future? I, I surely, yeah, I want to know that. Well, um, I think that what they actually did is they listened to their customer base um, back in the days when they said, well, we're going to move off of uh, public folders, so don't use them anymore. There was a huge response of, of, of uh, companies saying, well, hey, we're using them. We need them. So uh, what they did in 2010, they tried uh, de-emphasizing them uh, with the RTM version, but they saw they couldn't do it. So they added a little functionality in SP1. And uh, one of the things that I believe uh, made them decide to put the public folders into the, the mailbox databases is not only the high availability factor, but now you can also use public folders in Office 365. So um, where that was a uh, limiting factor for some companies using public folders to go to Office 365, it's no longer a limiting factor right now. So um, I think it's a well thought uh, move of Microsoft uh, and I'm very uh, excited to see what they're going to do with it in the future because uh, there are some architectural problems problems, uh, as Mahmoud said. So um, um, I'm hoping to see some changes, uh, although I'm not sure where they're going either. Uh, so you think, you see, you think that uh, Office, Office 365 was the driving uh, motivator to uh, reinvent public folders, as it were? Not the, but one of them. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, I think that uh, public folders will stay, uh, and this is why Microsoft uh, pushed the, the mailbox um, storage for it. Um, I think they will stay for years because uh, a lot of customers are using are still using public folders, uh, although they have SharePoint deployment. So um, I think it's uh, it's uh, an alarm for all of us to. S to, to watch for for the future uh, deployments and how customers how customers are using now public folders and SharePoint. Yeah, I, I was I was going to jump in and second second that too. I mean, yeah, the, we we know that the mantra back in the day was uh, if you're going to move you know to move from public folders, you know, uh, SharePoint was one of the you know recommended places to put that kind of content. But obviously, for whatever reason. Maybe the adoption's not been as high for that because um, some things that are in mail don't necessarily lend themselves well to SharePoint, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's you know even if it's a begrudging acknowledgement that people are just not going to get off folders, but it's still a it still sort of was a legacy hole in the overall plan, and especially for high availability with you know, having to have replicas and that. Um, I think it's a great compromise to say, all right, you know, we're going to keep them around, but we're going to treat them like a mailbox, and that means they can be managed like a mailbox. Um, I think it's a great sort of compromise, you know, uh, it allows them to have a footprint for, for, for some time to, to maintain them. I'll just add another point, guys. Uh, when we look at TechNet about public folders, you guys also seen it as well. Uh, in order for us to migrate to new public folder structure in 2015, they are saying you need Exchange 2010 Service Pack 3. And there is no Service Pack 3 at the moment. So what I'm guessing is it is really close 
to get Source Pack 3 now. So I don't know what will be on it, but I think we Yeah, there's, there's no coexistence uh, you know, at all without Service Pack 3. So, yeah, obviously that's still going to be a huge uh, wait, you know, to, to, to see when that's going to be out. Um. Yeah. The, the other thing that uh, we should be aware of that uh, the mailboxes now in Exchange uh, with 15 is uh, storage size is about 100 gig. It was it was an exchange 2010 um, 10 gig. It's now 100 gig. So customers with large and huge public folders, I have seen on one wave, uh, five terabyte of uh, public folder database, and um, they should, should they should also consider how they will split their uh, databases. It's, it will be either by folders or by region or something, but they should really consider how they will split their public folder infrastructure into mailbox databases to accommodate the size. Yeah, I'm, I'm very actually, I'm very interested to see how large companies uh, working in different uh, areas of the world are going to handle that limitation because now uh, public folders, you've got some kind of a multi-master model where you can have active data in both parts of the world, which you cannot anymore in Exchange 2013. So I'm, I'm very, uh, I would be very interested to see how they solve that problem or go around because I can imagine that uh, a company of that size doesn't always have the one links to support uh, data connectivity from one end to the other or ac actually sustain uh, that connectivity. And moving on, um, the new offline OWA uh, feature, which allows you to have access when you don't have uh, have internet access. And John, what did you what did you think about that? Yeah, this is one of those uh, features that we, you know, was uh, was known about to tap and people who have seen the, the betas uh, and who had information about it. And it was one of the more, I think, one of the more exciting things is just the entire mobile direction for, for 2013 Wave and um, what the new mobile client's uh, capabilities will be. And one of those big pieces is going to be an offline mode where you're going to have, you know, local access, you know, cash mail access um, on a variety of different device types. Uh, and, you know, if you looked at the public uh, info on the Exchange Team blog, um, they kind of showed, you know, the screenshot. And if, obviously, if you, run, if you ran the beta bits, you can see what O looked like on the desktop. But they also kind of gave an indication of, you know, there's going to be multiple screen sizes that are going to auto-detect and fit those device types. Um, and I think what's even, you know, more interesting and telling is that on each of those, it's sort of a, a, a similar experience. So, you know, the browser experience um, uh, and the, just kind of the look and feel of it will be the same. It's very similar across desktop to, 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 to tablet size, to phone size. Um, especially what I think is a great idea also is that they're, you know, they're keeping that kind of metro, um, uh, you know, theme styling, if you will, uh, across those apps. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of cool. So, you know, it's, 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 if, whether you have iOS, Android, whatever the platform is, you're still looking at what Microsoft wants you to see in terms of the, the stylization of, 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 the, of that, you know, experience. And so the host, uh, platform really is not, you know, it's sort of irrelevant at that point. You, once you leave, the you know uh, interface of the platform you're in Microsoft's world you know so it's, I think it's a great idea and it's certainly a, a, a you know interesting direction you know they're gonna push Metro as much as they're, they're gonna push it and if you like it you're gonna be happy if you don't well that's a different story but I think it's a great uh, idea to, to kind of keep things consistent. Well the the the, the I'm I'm interested how the offline o, uh, OWA is uh, going to compete with ActiveSync actually. Um, uh, well, 
most, most devices have active sync um, uh, at the moment so um, I was a, a kind of bit surprised that that this functionality would be built in into uh, OWA uh, not that I'm against it or, or dislike it but um, how do you feel about uh, how do you guys think about the, the competitiveness between active sync and uh, offline OA well, I think, I mean, personally, I think there's a little bit different because I think one of the things that with offline OA is going to be, especially on mobile devices, is the ability to sandbox that app um, from other apps. I and mean, that's one of the problems I think we have right now with the BYOD world where, you know, if you, unless you have some advanced MDM uh, advanced MDM functionality, you know, your options with ActiveSync policy are, you know, if you want to sign up to my to sync with my environment on your personal device, I reserve the right to wipe your entire device. A lot of people have a huge problem with that. Um, and so this would allow them to wipe just OWA, you know, the mail contents, um, out, you know, out of band of the rest of the device. So I think it's a great idea. And that gives them at least something, you know, another, another avenue to, to, to take, uh, and, you know, satisfy that kind of requirement, uh, you know, to not to have complete and total control over the device. And moving along, um, there's a, a philosophy shift in uh, the various roles. In uh, 2010, of course, we had the, hu the hub transport server and the CAS server and the mailbox server, and that changes in 2013. And, Michael, you had written a couple of blog posts about it, and uh, fill us in on that. Well, uh, it's as you said, it's a change in philosophy. Um, taking a look at Exchange 2010, um, when you take then a look at, at 13, it's it's uh, an evolution. It's not really a revolution. It's uh, logical that they made the choices they made. Uh, for instance, um, I, th I think it was last year some, uh, somewhere the product team said that you'd better deploy multi-role servers to better uh, utilize hardware. Well, uh, what they actually did now is take all those components and put them into one single role being the mailbox role which holds now a CAS uh, component and a hub transport component uh, also a unified messaging component so they all uh, centralize that within one role and to overcome some other issues uh, they created the, the stateless CAS as John already said earlier today um, so it's, it's very interesting to see how they solved some of the issues uh, and at the same time created uh, some uh, or actually solved some issues uh, regarding high availability and, and stuff like that so I really like the new architecture and um, moving forward I'm um, I'm, uh, I'm very eager to see how it performs in the real world actually well uh, the the front end is something I, I completely understand because uh, most of the time are already installed client access servers co combined with the transport servers so uh, that is actually quite logical um, what I was surprised is that um, I think that the, mo the most important components of the unified messaging role are combined with the uh, mailbox role, and um, um, as, uh, uh, with Exchange 2010, the unified messaging role is supported to be uh, virtualized, but because it's very CPU-heavy, you have to have, to have uh, four cores, etc. And I, I'm, I'm uh, eager to know how that scales, uh, what the memory requirements are, of uh, especially the back end. The front end is, is probably mostly the same as in Exchange 2010, I think. I don't know, but I think 
But the back end, I'm interested in that. Well, if you take a look at the front end, um, I think the requirements will be just less than uh, it was in Exchange 2010 because uh, the CAS doesn't really do anything. It's just proxies requests. So it doesn't treat any data. Uh, so I think that will be quite okay. Uh, but as, as you said, the back end is, is really uh, more heavy than it was before. Um, but I know there were some changes uh, in, into the database, into the store, which we're going to talk about later, I think. And uh, these changes drive to using more memory and less of the other resources so to balance actually the, the different loads that the different roles bring within the mailbox server role. So that should be okay, but as you said, uh, I'm also very interesting to, sort of interested to see how they will perform, what the guidelines are, uh, and especially towards memory, I'm pretty sure they'll be uh, much higher than in Exchange 2010. Oh, good, good. Um, another philosophy shift um, is management and of course now we have what's called the EAC the exchange admin center instead of uh, the more conventional uh, GUI uh, and Johan you had uh, you had mentioned something about that yeah what you will see is that you don't have a local management um, console which uh, uses the NMC but you've got a web-based console just like Office 365 and um, most of the tasks can be done via a web browser but not all tasks so the shell is still available um, yeah and uh, yeah I think you will say uh, you know most administrators will think well is it the right way which Microsoft will shift to but compared to link link has already has a management console which is web-based and yeah I certainly see a lot of uh, advantages for it how do you uh, guys think about it yeah I, 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 I certainly I mean uh, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, we used to universally hate, you know, web-based management uh, consoles because they're usually clunky and, you know, there's no right-click and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting that they're going back to this. I mean, I think it's pretty amazing. And, and this was also one of those things, you know, coming from seeing the betas in the airlift. Like, this was one of those, wow, this is going to be a big news kind of change. Like, there's no, there's no GUI at all. It's just a browser. Uh, but it's amazingly pretty functional. I, I actually, and it's pretty quick. And as we, you know, we'll, a lot of people would attest, um, you know, the PowerShell ran, rendering of the, 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 the management console in 2007 2010, you know, it was pretty slow. No matter how fast the box was, it could be really slow to get anything done. So I think it's a, a, a nice change in a way. And, I, and I, again, this is coming from somebody who's really not a, a, a web-based management console fan. But, but, you know, so it's an interesting change, and uh, we'll see. I just to see what, you know, the kind of the feedback is going to be as it goes into production uh, and people, you know, start using it. Yeah, well, I'm so curious about it. It's, it's, it's very interesting to see um, that they made this shift. I had a conversation over Twitter uh, the other day where someone was saying, well, uh, why would we be using a web interface? Um, and uh, driving the entire bring-your-own-device thingy, uh, I've seen sys system administrators do some work on an iPad. Um, and uh, if you try to do that for Exchange 2010, well, good luck. Um, and uh, I think it was Paul who did some tests on an Android device and on an iPhone, and the EAC actually rendered pretty good. So it, it's a valid option to start using that to do some management of your exchange servers from a remote device or, uh, um, or uh, an, an iPad or even the Surface tablet that's going to come. But uh, the question rather remains, are you really going to do some management of your environment from, from such a device? Yeah, why not? Yeah, well, it, it, it's it's an option, um, but I, like a, I always see well, the well, tablets. Well, for example, if you're... Um, 
if you have a small issue which you can easily solve by logging into the management console and you're in a meeting and where you don't have a desktop, you can solve it easily via, via your, your tablet or something. Well, I see some advantages, but yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Instead of having an RDP well, well, but, but, Yeah, but for the, the big things, yeah, you will. Most people will use the, the management shell because it yeah, has more options. Yeah, but we don't use it like uh, ordinary. I want to say ordinary, but admins do. And I think from an Office 365 point of view, it's it makes sense because that interface is web-based. This interface is also web-based, so it could be made more into uh, say a single view or layout. Yeah, that's a good point actually. So it's it's uh, the single experience if you uh, manage your Exchange and online environment from Office 365 or your on-prem uh, environment using the EAC uh, web interface. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. That's, uh, yeah, that's also an advantage. And that's what you, what you, and that's what you see that Microsoft wishes to push you know, on-premise customers to either fully in the cloud or, or hybrid. And yeah, the most important point, point for, our, for, for customers is that you can manage both environments easily and yeah, if you can offer one uh, interface which makes it pre- which looks the same in both environments and makes it easy to to use, yeah, why not? I had a strange encounter with a client about EAC this week. Uh, how about how can we just block it from the internet? Because they are taking uh, they are taking it really serious on exchange management and they don't want their admins to access it from internet and I was doing some research and I found out that Microsoft has a solution for that as well and you can block internet access to Exchange Administration Console to EAC and we'll probably share that link as well. Yeah, we'll certainly get that uh, get that published. Um, and one, one of the interesting things that I read about um, 2013 now is that the store runs in managed code, and each database now runs under its own process. So if you have one process that, um, that goes sideways, then you're not going to take down all of your databases. So I think that this is, uh, this is certainly a step in the right direction from a stability standpoint. Um, has anybody run into any issues with this so far? Well, I think that every one of us uh, at some point uh, has encountered a database that made the information store uh, just crash. Um, and at that time, you bring down every database. So it's, it's a very big thing that they, uh, they took that out and uh, took that uh, dependency of a single service away. So it's, it's very good, as you said, for availability of the server uh, in case of, uh, of, of disaster or crashing service or something like that. But, but also the changes they made to uh, self-recovery uh, are, are actually pretty huge. So um, I, I think this is maybe one of the changes that doesn't get a lot of attention, but rather deserves more attention because it's, it's, it's a huge improvement in availability, stability, uh, and so on. So, Yeah, that, that's certainly a good point. Um, Exchange 2013 brings with it um, a little more integration with, um, with Link 2013. And one of the big things that I think is, is quite interesting is the unified contact store, which allows um, all of your link contacts to be essentially in the same store um, in exchange. So now you have a combined uh, contact list between Outlook and Link. Um, 
as well as um, the H, you can now have HD photos for link for your profile photo and those get stored in exchange as well so it's nice to see some interaction with uh, some more interaction between the two products um has anybody played with the the single contact store the unified contact store yeah i actually was, I was trying to get that uh um we'll put, put, a, put a link up but uh just chairman Rasmussen put up a, a blog post last week on you know how to again this is all early in beta uh Obviously, so take that in mind. But uh, how to actually configure the overall integration between Lincoln and Exchange uh, 2013, which and Link 2013, um, which is a lot different than it was in the previous version. So, um, but one of the things I did notice is that, which is interesting, yeah, the ATP, you mentioned the HD pictures. I don't know if anyone's played with the Link 2013 client, but now the inbound notification toast um, for new call or, or email has that higher res and higher, bigger size picture. Um, and it's kind of jarring at first. You see this giant, you know, picture of yourself like slide up. You're like, what's this? Where's this coming from? Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, I think it's a very neat, uh, new ad. Um, and, uh, I was going to, you know, speak to, to some of the other, uh, uh, additions too. And one of the kind of key changes I think is, uh, that I see, um, as part of this integration is that, uh, the uh, server-to-server auth, uh, you know, STS OAuth uh, st- uh, things that are going on now between these products, and uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of, to me, it's a pretty interesting, you know, new direction and change, kind of you know, picking, you know, picking up on that MTLS type, you know, trusted thing, but taking it a little bit farther so these servers can authentic- you know, authenticate to each other. Yeah, and we we recorded the um, the link episode for for this a little earlier and um elon shudnow has some experience with that and he talks about it as well so you can certainly listen to that episode and he's got some information on his uh, his blog about it so another thing that gets integrated between link and um in exchange 2013 if you want is archiving so you can archive all of your im traffic all of your link traffic into exchange and that allows you to do multi-mailbox searches in exchange and cover all of your messaging traffic and i i think this is beautiful and i think it i think certainly with the licensing change that we mentioned at the top of the episode um i think from an e-discovery standpoint this makes life a lot better yeah i think that's that's uh, completely true um yeah, if, if you read the, the blog about the license change, it also has to do with something that will change in Exchange 2030. So, yeah, maybe it points to this one. So with all these different things in so far, what are some of the reasons that an organization would want to migrate to um, 2013? Uh, end of life of uh, Exchange 20, uh, 2007, for one. Uh, if if you value uh, support by Microsoft, I, th- I don't know the dates. Uh, I think that the mainstream support already is ended for Exchange uh, 2007 uh, Search Pack 3. Um, and, well, th- those on Exchange 2003 have an issue because they can will probably won't uh, uh, are able to d- d- migrate directly and have to do a stepping stone uh, migration or something like that. Um but other reasons to migrate, um, I think um, if you have um, uh, uh, multi-site uh, environments, uh, I think that uh, the new front-end, back-end construction it adds a lot of benefits, especially also the, the Outlook Anywhere, just per default, the client is also a great benefit. Um, but yeah, in, in any case, it's it's always uh, the, the business case of the company itself. 
um, and whether how how uh, which resources they have, what what are their requirements, uh, do they already have a link, uh, which version, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's just uh, not easy to to answer just for one. Uh, uh, yeah, just not easy uh, an easy answer. Um, perhaps uh, somebody else has a, has a, something to add. Yeah, I, I think one thing that was uh, one of the interesting blurbs that I think got kind of overlooked um, uh, on this, you know, so many new features, is the blurb about, uh, you know, additional IOP reductions um, over 2010, um, which Microsoft saying over, you know, 50% reduction over 2010 in IOPS, and that's a pretty big drop. And if you, you know, if you look at the the, the, the amount of uh, uh, performance, you know, uh, uh, streamlining from 2007 through 2010 now to 2013, we're talking about a whole different, you know, and even even less uh, requirement for IOPS. Than uh, by a good amount, so I would say that would be one mar- one one reason people were skeptical about you know the you know DAS versus SAN whatever you know this might even start allowing them to clarify that to themselves like well okay look you know it's even you know the, Microsoft's telling me increasingly generation to generation of this product the IA production is getting less and less and less uh, you know I think uh, there's certainly you know reasons why a migration would make sense. And uh, also, if you take a look at the non-real technical stuff, uh, I especially like the, the unified approach for the end user. Um, if you take a look at uh, Outlook 2013, at OWA, at a Windows phone, obviously, um, there is a, a single uh, interface alike. So um, it makes life easier, uh, or at least I think it makes life easier for uh, most of the end users. So um, that, I think, will be one of the driving uh, things behind the sales of Exchange 2013 as well. Yeah, I would add, too, uh, I think also uh, one of the uh, drivers would be simplicity. I mean, now that, that ostensibly, if you take Edge out of the you know, mix, there's really only two roles. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, you know, there was a lot of arguments with, with 2010 timeframe up and through current times about, you know, brick servers and having multi-role and versus, you know, when multi-role makes sense and when it doesn't. Um, but this kind of even just drives that even home even harder that, well, okay, there's really only two roles. So what benefit, unless, you know, there's some specific reasons, what benefit do you have in splitting the roles anymore? So I think at least, you know, it'll drive to, to simplify um, deployments and, and I think would even lend a virtualization in, in a lot of cases too because it is so much more coalesced, you know, as a, as a server. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Um, one of the the big things that 2010 brought was you know much better HA uh, and DR. What's the HA and DR picture now for 2013? How does it change? Well, I, I don't think it really changes. Uh, it it evolve it evolves. Um, it still uses a DAC as the main uh, high availability feature for uh, mailbox data, uh, and obviously now also for uh, public folders, which is a huge improvement. Um, but there are some nice, uh, more fine uh, improvements towards uh, the Hub Transport server, where you had the shadow redundancy. And uh, if you take a look now at uh, Exchange 2013, uh, that shadow redundancy has been really incorporated into the core of the Hub Transport server, um, meaning that it's fully aware that it's running in a DAG, um, so it will actually make copies uh, throughout its DAG. It will see if it's running uh, within a stretched DAG, so if your DAG is running on multiple Active Directory sites, it will make sure that a copy of the message gets created in the other Active Directory sites to create a site resilience structure automatically. So that's 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 really great. It's it's a huge improvement as well. And John, you were talking about uh, the multiple copies reseeding. Yeah, one of the uh, the the blurbs I read on, on you know on the high availability and uh, uh, 
changes in 2013 was the ability now to reseed from multiple copies instead of one copy. So it should it should uh, streamline and reduce the time to reseed a database by by a good amount. There are some you know some some numbers that they had uh, out there on the article I was reading, uh, but uh, you know it's, it's going to be interesting to see in, in practice. Uh, uh, how how that actually does help, but I mean, it, it sounds like it's definitely a big deal <laughs> in that in that in that sense. Good. So moving on to installation, what's the installation picture look like for for 2013? Obviously, once again, we'll mention don't put this in a production environment. In fact, there's a blocker built in that does not allow you to install the 2013 uh, preview into an existing Exchange org. But um, how is the the actual process in getting Exchange installed different than in previous versions? Almost none. Um, it's basically the same schema upgrade, domain prep, uh, installing prerequisites uh, on your uh, Windows server, um, which uh, are somewhat different, of course, uh, uh, because of the, the combined roles. Um, uh, but basically, it's just the same, same experience. Uh, it's it's for the GUI, uh, the the setup wizard. It's uh, well, the setup wizard is actually uh, a change and has the Metro interface, and uh, unfortunately uh, shows a lot less information than previous versions of the uh, setup wizard. Um, uh, so that that I hope they're going to fix that for for the RTM version, uh, but the unattended install is is pretty much the same. Also, um, uh, I've I've put up some videos of uh, those uh, preparation and installation uh, on my blog, so uh, people can uh, can watch those uh, if they don't want to uh, install it themselves. Yeah, I just add. I was going to add what you were saying too. But it's kind of funny. It's like you know, performing step. I mean, obviously, it's beta. This could change. The installer could change uh, by RTM. But you know, it's sort of just you know, if, if you haven't installed it yet, it basically says you know, doing step one of fifteen or whatever. It's like, well, okay, well, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Like, uh, thanks for telling me nothing. You know, but I guess and, that and, might change. And and step one is is a fraction of a second, and step seven is is like an hour long or something like that. Right, right. But it did notice notice is that the installation uh, sometimes isn't very uh, robust. I still got an idea that they still have to fix some kinks in it. Uh, but I had a failed install, uh, rebooted my server, and the setup wizard just picked up where it left from. So that feature, what, which was already present in 2007 and 2010, is uh, the, the setup is, uh, uh, can continue uh, where you left off. So that is a, a great sign that uh, 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 at the quality at this moment. On the other hand, I uh, uh, un uninstalled an Exchange 2013 server, and uh, somehow um, it also removed parts from Active Directory. And I, I went into a, a deadlock, a deadlock where, where I couldn't install uh, an Exchange server anymore in Active Directory, but also couldn't prepare it for a schema update or domain prep it anymore so that I could install it. So uh, there are some kinks and probably related because of the preview version. Yeah, right. I was going to you, I had an issue where uh, my drive ran out of space. Um, so the so the the the, uh, mail, the, the, the active mailbox is dismounted, but. Uh, some log files just weren't written, so it won't mount again. It's not, it's not healthy. And it's like, uh, okay, I hope that, uh, hopefully that's fixed by RTM because that seems like it would be a problem, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay, on the earlier talk, we talked about um, be, being blocked from installing uh, the preview uh, edition in existing environments. I found it rather curious because I think the first thing people wanted to do was 
to see what the new P uh, exchange 2013 uh, means for them when they want to uh, upgrade it in their existing environments and see what's coming up and what they uh, what they need to plan or what they need to work out. Anybody else thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. That well, that's an excellent excellent point. Um, it, it, I, I, uh, in, in, because we know those greenfield setups. Yeah, that's a composo yeah. uh, exercise. Well, perhaps we we're going to see that in the uh, release uh, preview, if there is any. Um, uh, but yeah, um, uh, I was planning to do an, 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 a migration uh, a blog post about this, uh, as I did with uh, 2007 and uh, 2010. Um, but it's too early to tell, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I have some hope for an eventual release candidate, but perhaps during the Microsoft Exchange conference that it will be uh, a topic that will be uh, uh, discussed. Yeah, I'm sure that we'll see uh, a lot more information coming pretty soon in that aspect. Um and so you can't really install 2013 into an existing um, exchange org. So you can't really test the migration and coexistence uh, pieces yet. But uh, Mahmoud, you had some thoughts on, on that, including maybe some hybrid complexities. I think, yeah, I think the process should go straightforward with, uh, with the transition and the migration. Um, installing the digital certificate and moving the mailboxes. Um, uh, the only thing that uh, will uh, will trouble some of the migration will the public folder uh, transitioning. Uh, you will need to export the the public folder uh, hierarchy into a CSV file, um, and uh, import the hierarchy into the uh, the Exchange 2013. And, uh, replicate the content and then do the suspend. Then the the product group. The product group have published a nice uh, article, and also you will find in uh, in my blog post on and high level for the, the for the process. Um, other than that, it's uh, it's the same as uh, migrating from uh, 2007 to th 2012. Oh, simple enough. Uh, kind of like kind of like Link. It's pretty pretty straightforward. So so good good. Um, Michael, um, you had written a blog post on uh, what's new in Exchange 2013 and, and what's still the same, and we'll have a link to that on our website too, but uh, what else have you found? Well, uh, we've already talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that we didn't mention are the new compliancy features uh, like DLP, uh, Data Loss Protection, uh, which basically allows you to... to um, uh, take any action when a message is, is intercepted that contains, for instance, a visa number or uh, anything that you don't want to go out to your uh, from your company. Um, but we'll most probably talk about that in future episodes as well. Um, some integrations with uh, with SharePoint, we briefly touched it, but you, you'll have now more deeper integration. You've got the discovery portal. Uh, you've got those site mailboxes. Um, interesting feature. Um and uh, yeah, indeed, uh, batch moves. Uh, so where you had in Exchange 2010 before uh, moves that were only uh, done sequentially, you can now move multiple mailboxes at the same time in actually a batch. Uh, they introduced some new commandlets for that. Well, that's something. So uh, the the the, uh, the batch migration also got a feature which uh, can send uh, email reports. So that's that's a nice addition. Uh, I think Office 365 all all uh, 
already contains it. It sends a notification once the migration is completed. So it looks like they are bringing it to 2013, although I haven't uh, tested it myself. Yeah, and, and one thing that I just think of is they uh, now leverage FAST for uh, indexing. So uh, indexing and searching, which is uh, rather good news because we were stuck with a uh, pretty old engine before. So uh, it's pretty nice to see that they finally get it, uh, got its way to exchange. Certainly. And uh, you had mentioned, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more from an automation standpoint and um, we wanted to talk about uh, commandlet extension agents uh, this time, which has been around since uh, 2010. Uh, so it's not really new in 2013, but certainly I think one of the most overlooked features in Exchange. And I know I, I wrote a blog, po a blog post about it um, um, several years ago before there was much out about it and it, it still to this day gets um, uh, quite a lit of uh, quite a bit of interest and uh, Michelle you had you had uh, written about it as well and done some work around uh, command and extension agents so why don't you explain what they are and, and how they can help well in my words um, command extensions command uh, extension agents are um, let's say little wrappers around uh, commandlets in exchange so which enable you to customize commands, uh, extend them, um, uh, make them do more, or make them do uh, extra matching or checks, anything you can think of um, which suits your environment. Right. So if you if you have um, um, a point where a commandlet is executed, and it can be via PowerShell or the GUI, either one, then you can tie specific actions to occur um, before or after that commandlet is executed. And uh, one of the things that I've done is uh, when the new mailbox commandlet fires, then as soon as it fires, then I have some commandlet extension uh, configuration that then uh, will go in and apply policies and other parameters to the mailbox automatically. So no matter how the the help desk provisions the mailbox, uh, the commandlet extension agents come by and apply all the right policies and everything, and it's it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a really a powerful tool which is used uh, not often enough. And yeah, like you said, it uh, it doesn't depend on if you use uh, the management console to do something or the management shell. The output is the outcome is the same, and also prevents many companies use uh, provisioning tools or little scripts to provision users. And most of that stuff can be done using those uh, extension agents and. Well, it's uh, uh, more simple, more powerful. The only downside I've found is that you need to distribute that XML file to all those exchange boxes. So you need to do some management on that uh, part. Right. And, and some third-party applications actually utilize commandlet extension agents. Um, I found out the other day that the Quest um, Audit Manager um, actually works via commandlet extension agents to gather its information. So every time you know certain command commandlets run, then then the the audit manager steps in and grabs information for it. Uh, one thing that I've started to do now is um, you don't have to limit uh, what commandlet extensions do to exchange specific tasks. 
So I'm now working on a script where every time a mailbox is created, a PowerShell script runs, and it goes out and provisions the user in Link, and then goes out and provisions them in SharePoint. So really, you can call external PowerShell scripts as well. And and you can do all kinds of things. You can have multiple scripts or multiple commandlets run once a specific commandlet fires. Yeah, that's a perfect example of the power of those uh, the tool. Uh... I, I find it just a pity that they didn't do anything with it, uh, or as far as I can see in Exchange 2013. Um, they are still there, which is great, uh, but they didn't add any functionality. They didn't change anything, uh, for instance, to the way the XML file is used, so, the, so that distributions go more easily, or the installation actually goes uh, more easily over commandlet extension agents. Um, so I was actually hoping they would would broaden the scope of that uh, functionality be just because it's it's that great. Uh, but on the other side, I've, I've read some articles and um, tried to get them uh, as a link on the website as well, where there were some issues using these commandlet extension agents uh, because um, when provisioning in your mailbox, for instance, sometimes uh, the agent would kick off um, but throw an error because it was doing a, a search for an object that it couldn't find because the provisioning didn't happen uh, quickly enough. So maybe that's one of the reasons why Microsoft isn't putting in uh, as much effort uh, as, as, as we'd like to. So, well, I, think the, I, I think, in my opinion, that the one thing that they should focus on fixing first, not that it's broken, but certainly could get um, better adoption, is the fact that you have to manually copy that XML file to all of your servers in the environment where these commandlets could potentially run. And um, if, if they did something with DFS or some sort of replication where if you updated it on one server, it could get pushed out to other servers, I think uh, would certainly help. Um, but yeah, you, have, you definitely have to do some testing with it. But the, I think the feature or the, uh, the possibilities for uh, what you can do with, with extension agents is, is really mind-boggling. I mean, I've, I've done some really obscure things just to see if it would work. I mean, you can provision just about every aspect of a user. Um, you, know, you name it. If you can do it through PowerShell, you can, you can almost certainly do it through commandlet extension agents. Yes, um, but uh, what I find difficult is that it's not well one of the most well documented parts of the uh, Exchange uh, territory where you can extend stuff, and also the method of um, yeah implementing and troubleshooting your little uh, extension agents is a bit uh, trial and error uh, exercise as far as I'm uh, concerned. Yeah, I, I I would agree. It definitely is. Um it has a lot of power or potential for power, and, and as such, you, you certainly need to, uh, to test it out and play with it before rolling it into production. And we'll, we'll get some links up on the, on the website about uh, the articles that uh, Michelle's written in, uh, in my blog post as well. And with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, one thing I did, uh, I, I got a question on um, actually within the last week is, uh, do you have to configure extension uh, commandlet extension agents on management workstations? And the answer is no, um, because um, Exchange Management Shell would connect to a remote Exchange server to execute any any tasks. So the commandlet extension agents would have to be configured on whatever server it connects to. So it doesn't doesn't connect to itself when you're on a management uh, workstation. 
And that covers the topics for this week. Uh, focusing on events, uh, the only thing really coming up is uh, MEC, the Microsoft Exchange Conference, and I know we, we keep talking about that uh, during every episode. I think if, uh, if you've never been there before, never looked into it, you certainly need to uh, check out uh, mechisback.com and, uh, and look at all the, the fantastic content that's going to be there um, and try and convince the boss to, to send you. I know just about everybody in the group here is going except Steve, um, which, which we keep poking fun at. <laughs> um, but uh, mechisback.com is, is certainly where you want to go and, and take it from somebody who has uh, attended these in the past. Um, if you can only go to one conference a year and you're an exchange um, technologist, this is the one to go to. I just bought my tickets last week, so I'm good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Moving on to uh, the week ahead, uh, let's find out what everybody's doing. Uh, Michelle, what are you doing this week? Well, I'm uh, currently working on an exchange migration uh, project. That will be the that will be my week. Well, excellent. Lot exchange is always fun. Uh, Sirkin. Yeah, I, I have an exchange migration project this week as well, and I also need to review a current exchange infrastructure for a new client. So it will be a pretty busy week, except. Thursday and Friday because it's cup match time in Bermuda, so we are off on Thursday and Friday and also on the weekend, so it will be partying for four days. Sorry for that, John. I, I had to do it. And you have so little to do there with it being with all the ocean and beach and all. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think we should hold one of the episodes there in Bermuda. Sounds good oh, to yeah, me. Of course. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, John, what do you got coming up this week? Well, I'm working uh, for a client uh, that's going through a Jabber uh, pilot, uh, kind of comparing it to Link. So, so, so it's very interesting that you have a Link guy running the Jabber pilot, but th- that's what it, that's how it is. How it is, but uh, but it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to compare other people's products too. So it's it's uh, pretty cool to you know kind of be in the middle of that. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, Mahmoud. What's uh, what's exciting in your week ahead? Um, uh, I'm in vacation this week. Um, as I've been tell- telling you, I'm in vacation this week. I'm joining my new company next week. So uh, starting next week, I'll be rolling uh, a hybrid deployment between our data center and uh, and uh, on-premise. So I do R between uh, the two sites. So it will be interesting, and uh, I'll be talking about that in the next episode, hopefully. Oh, great, great. So I'm sure the new job will be exciting for you. Yeah, I'm looking forward for it. Good. Johan, what's happening? Well, finishing the uh, Office for the Exchange 2003 to Office 365 and migration. Um, well, some blogging, I think, and some some investigation about uh, some nice things I've discovered. Oh, great. Look forward to seeing that. Uh, Dave, what's happening with you this week? Um, well, this week I have to f- uh, probably, uh, well, not finalize, but make a, make a decision about uh, a fundamental uh, uh, exchange site uh, resiliency. Um, uh, so I'm reading up on that. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, reading up on all the Exchange 2013 blogs uh, and writing, uh, writing some, uh, some of myself. Oh, good. Very good. Michael, what's up? Well, uh, I've got an Office 365 migration coming up this week, so that'll uh, promise a lot of fun. Uh, and other than that, uh, probably uh, write some blog posts about Exchange 2013. Uh, I'm testing out the integration with Link and SharePoint this weekend, so uh, most probably somewhere next week I'll have some articles about that out. Oh, good. 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 I I, I, yeah, I need to read those too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I'm... Uh... 
I'm focusing on a, a, a new project that's uh, uh, my component is all link, so I get to play around with uh, updating some firmware on some uh, link phones and uh, preparing an environment for a, uh, a migration, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and that pretty much wraps it up uh, for this week. I'd like to thank our co-hosts, uh, Michelle, Sirkin, John, Mahmoud, Johan, Dave, and Michael for uh, taking time out of their weekend to uh, to be with us. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Dave for being our producer. Good job, Dave, keeping us on track. And uh, try to. Our- try to. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, poor Steve Goodman, who gets the task of uh, editing this uh, this podcast into what will uh, make us sound uh, smart. It so is hard. Thank- <laughs> yeah, thanks, Steve. <laughs> thanks, Steve. Uh, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. Uh, see us on Twitter at the UC Architects. Uh, visit our Facebook page and post questions to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And we have a group on LinkedIn. Our podcasts are available in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and in your favorite RSS client like Outlook. See our website for links to everything. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>